Today on Maine Calling, passions and pastimes. If there's one thing we've learned about the Maine Calling audience over the years, it's this. You are enthusiastic, passionate, and are interested in many things. Perhaps sometimes some of those interests strike others as odd. We don't think so. In fact, we're here to celebrate the eclectic hobbies and avocations you embrace. I'm Jennifer Rooks. All this year on Maine Calling, we will be uncovering many of the passions and pastimes, subcultures you might say, in our state. Today we're highlighting some of the passions and pastimes of our colleagues here at Maine Public, and we want to hear from you. What fires you up? Let us know during the next hour. Maine Calling is just ahead. Maine Calling on Demand is made possible in part by Maine Farmland Trust, working with farmers to grow the future of farming and food in Maine. Learn how you can get involved at mainefarmlandtrust.org learn. And by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. We have a fun Friday show today. We are taking an inside look at our series, Passions and Pastimes. We'll talk about some of the interesting hobbies and pursuits that we will cover throughout the year, and we will hear from our own colleagues about what they like to do when they're not working. And speaking of colleagues, Maine Calling producer Cindy Hahn gets to sit in the guest chair today to discuss the series with me. Good morning, Cindy. Hi, this feels funny, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> we invite you to join in the conversation. What do you like to do? Any hobbies that others think are unusual? What about outdoor activities? We heard this morning about somebody who mountain bikes on a unicycle. You don't have to have it be that dramatic, but what do you do? What do you think we should include in our series? Send us an email, talk at mainpublic.org, post a comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. So Cindy, tell us, how did the series idea come about? Well, I'll go back a ways, Jen. As you know, we um, on Maine Calling, we cover lots of very heavy, big topics in the news and, you know, housing and storm recovery. But um, over the years, we've found that sometimes it's the it's the little shows. It's the ones that, that are very maybe specific topic and uh, could be a fun topic that oftentimes the audience really responds to. So going way back, we did elderberries and we used to always say, oh, my gosh, who knew that was going to be such a hit? And then um, candle pin bowling was another one and so um, we've seen that happen and and more recently there was a show we did on Dungeons and Dragons and we just had so much audience engagement just so many people love um, playing or engaging in that so it really kind of sparked this idea that hey we should just you know let our audience tell us what they're interested in and dedicate shows that we might not have thought were an hour's worth um, and just do that throughout the year and see what happens. One of the things that's been such a big surprise, Cindy, is how, um, you know, call it passions and pastimes, but the uh, really moving and emotional response sometimes um, some of these evoke. And I'm thinking back to the Candlepin Bowling program when we had people calling in telling us about, you know, 
candle pin bowling with their family or even meeting their spouse candle pin bowling. And it was really much more moving than we expected going into the program. Right. And, you know, that's our favorite thing when the callers have share some personal story that, you know, we never would have heard otherwise. And that, that happened during the Dungeons and Dragons show too. people who met their spouse playing um, D&D. And also one of the guests for that show talked about how she teaches people to play from age 50 to 80 or 80 something. You know, <laughs> So, um, you know, this the idea is uh, we hope to cover a bunch of topics that people all over Maine of all ages and all backgrounds enjoy. And um, usually I think whenever we do those type of topics, we find out something surprising. So we're hoping that people are going to call in today and tell us what they do that will surprise us. So how is this, you know, we talk a lot about between the, the three of us who are working on this program every day, uh, about how we're going to frame the programs, how we're going to present the programs. And this one's a little bit different. This series is a little bit different. Cindy, if you could explain that. Well, um, we have our own process. <laughs> it may seem random to some people, but in deciding what makes for a good show, we usually kind of check some boxes in that we it does need to sustain an hour, and it also ideally appeals to people all over the state and beyond, um, is relevant to people all over the state. And also, you know, we do look sometimes for a news hook, sometimes for um, an event or something that it's tied to. And let's see what else. We've got a lot of criteria, but a lot, a lot of um, topics meet those criteria. In this case, um, normally, if we were talking about something like candle pin bowling, we would have questioned, oh, is that an hour long show? Um, and so what we've learned over the years is that we can let go a little bit and say, you know, have faith that that it sustains a whole hour because of the audience interest. And so that's what we're counting on for this whole series. And I think um, we have a long, a, a huge long list of topics that came up right off the bat, but we're very much waiting to see if, if other ones bubble up throughout the year. And maybe we'll do this even beyond because there's certainly way more passions and pastimes that we can get to that we don't have on the list. So let's talk about some of the topics that are already on the list. Okay, so we did do a couple already this year. Like I said, kind of the this kicked off with the Dungeons and Dragons show. Um, and then we did a show on ice fishing, which was really interesting. But sadly, it turns out the ice fishing season is kind of a a bust this year that they kind of found that out in the in the weeks since we did the show um, because of the weather, uh, as as we've seen. Then we did a show on snowshoes, which also, you know, Jen, I know it, it was a little bit surprising how much response we had to that, but a good surprise. And what happens with so many of the shows like that one is as we're doing the research for the show and as we're figuring out who to have as guests, we learn something and sometimes it's like, whoa, <laughs> this is way more than I thought. So in that case, learning that Norway, Maine had been the snowshoe capital of America and had all this history and all these festivities was really great. So um, sometimes a show becomes more than we thought it was going to be along the way. And we're hoping that happens a lot with this series. 
Well, as we've been talking about this, we've learned that some of our colleagues um, have really interesting passions and pastimes. And the first to call in is Scott McCollum. Scott, thank you so much for calling in. And, and one of the things I love, Cindy, is that we've known Scott a long time. Uh, he works in the same part of the office that we work in. And Scott, I did not know about this passion of yours until we started talking about this series. Tell us about your um, alter ego as a pinball wizard. Well, it's it's fairly new. Um, I'm actually going to be celebrating a year um, come this uh, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, it's, it's something that I kind of stumbled upon accidentally. Um, and, and uh, you know, last St. Patrick's Day, I visited um, the... Uh, the, the main silver ball um, location in Saco and uh, really uh, took to the, the the excitement that was going on and uh, thought, hey, maybe uh, I'll join the league that they're offering and see where that goes. So you're in a pinball league. You've had a lot of success. You've even won some tournaments. Um, I will say for our audience, uh, Scott is a, one of our members of our tech team. He's an IT wizard as well as a pinball wizard. And I'm wondering, Scott, what are some of the skills that make someone good at pinball? Are they similar to skills that help you figure out when your colleagues' computers aren't working properly? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think having a technical mind is helpful. I don't think it's required. Um, what's great about pinball is, you know, you can be from you know, all walks of life and enjoy it. I mean, we have all different age groups that participate and and um, all kinds of different folks. And, and that's one of the things I love the most about it is how diverse it is. Um, I think, strangely, one of the helpful things that, one of the things that can be really helpful when you do pinball play um, is music, maybe a musical background, because I really do think there's sort of a, a rhythm to each machine and um, and, and that helps um, when you're playing, I think. And is it, I'm remembering my childhood, uh, is, is tilting still a thing? Is that sort of something that you get, uh, disqualified for? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, something that you could get disqualified for. And it's interesting because, you know, the older machines, um, I'm, I'm talking about, um, you know, in the range of like 1970 and 1960, um, if you tilt the machine, that's it. The game is over. <laughs> there's no, there's no uh, continue on. Whereas um, the newer machines that are out, um, you can tilt, and and all you're going to lose is your bonus, and you'll be able to um, continue on to the next ball if if you're not on your last ball. So um, that's the thing that's great about this hobby is that there's there's so many different. Um, uh, you know, different um, things to learn, and, and there's such a deep uh, history. And, and definitely nudging the machine is encouraged. Um, that's okay. You, you want to nudge the machine. You just need to understand um, how much nudging that machine will allow and uh, hope you don't cross that threshold, especially during tournament play. Scott, that makes me wonder, too, um, you know, if there's benefits. Uh, there's certain activities you do There are sort of side benefits to it. And it seems to me that on one hand, it's got it's got some problems like your eyes would get strained or your muscle get sore. But um, but at the same time, maybe you're benefiting your brain in different ways. Yeah, I think you're absolutely benefiting your brain 
um, for sure. Um, uh, you know, just just um, because the thing is, is that every machine has um, certain modes, right? It, certain ways in which to play. And, and you learn those modes, and that's no different than say, if you were playing a board game or a video game, right? There's a certain strategy that you want to take, and um, so you learn about that specific machine in, the, in, in that way. And then you have the other element, which is the actual uh, directing your ball in, in those patterns in order to achieve those mo modes, in order to score more. So. There's there's multiple layers, and so your your brain is really interacting on multiple levels. And you know, I'm I'm in a I'm in a uh, I, I participate in, in my local um, my favorite pinball places um, local um, leagues, and then I also participate in the New England Wide League, the NEPL, and then um, I get points in order to play. Um, Someday, hopefully, in the World League, uh, the the IFPA, the International Flipper Pinball Association. So it's pretty cool to have a world ranking um, and have a ranking locally and at my at my my local place of play and also the New England Pinball League. I love it, the International Flipper Pinball Association, IFPA. Scott, thank you so much for calling in and sharing with us. You got it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Scott is our colleague, Maine Public's system, one of our system engineers. Oh, my goodness. You know who's calling in? Monica Wood is calling in. Hi, Monica. Nice to hear from you. Monica Hood, an author and playwright. Um, what's your hobby, your passion and pastime? Uh, hi, Jen. Oh, my goodness. I love this show. Um, uh, other than well, football, what is your... <laughs> what? Other than football. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love football, but I don't play football. Um, no, um, my husband got me this little kit for Christmas that I've been kind of coveting for a while, and it's a little miniature bookstore, and I assembled it. It took forever, and I was really excited about it, and I thought, you know, I bet I could make something like this myself. So I'm now on my, oh, I don't know, like fourth miniature room, and I just make these little worlds like a study with a stuffed chair and a piano and things on the walls and bookshelves and tiny little books that I make myself it's incredibly time consuming and it's a complete um, substitute for writing and in some ways it's the same thing it's just world building and I have be I just am just enraptured by this. It, I'm doing it right now while I'm listening to the radio about my kitchen table with all these little things that I'm painting. Monica, Monica I'm go ahead. Send Cindy. us a picture. We want to see a picture. I was going to say that if you would put post it on today's Facebook post for main calling, okay. we'd love it. But <laughs> right, you know, I'll you're in good company. Yeah, several years ago, I was at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston for a Jamie Wyeth show. And um, mm -hmm. the artist Jamie Wyeth also creates scenes from his lifetime in, in these little rooms. Oh, I so. didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. very cool. The first time I ever saw miniatures, I was, it was decades ago at the Chicago Museum of Fine Arts. And they have a whole room of these shadow but they're recessed into the walls they're a little with glass over them and you can look in and they're 
exact replicas of famous rooms down to the tiny little teacups and little tiny rugs. And it's just a fascinating thing. And I've always been, I'm very comfortable in small spaces, always have been. So I don't know, maybe I was a miniaturist in a past life or something. But it's so funny because I have, I did I never set foot in a craft store until a month ago. And I've made. <laughs> and now you live there? <laughs> yeah, I live there. And I ask you, I have no nothing. So I asked the ladies in the aisle, you know, do you know what, what is this for? I get all these ideas just from the other customers. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to, Jen. Oh my gosh, Monica. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing your passion and pastime, your newfound passion and pastime. And please, please, please post a picture on Facebook. I'm going to uh, move on. I'm going to move on to Kitsy calling from Portland. Hi, uh, this is great. I love it, especially about the miniatures. I wanted to start out by saying I'm in my 86th year and I have never been more curious than I am now throughout my life. And I have a doormat. Some of you may have seen it. It says curiouser and curiouser. And so I am, I just delve into everything. And I need to say that Maine Public Radio, especially in the morning, has been one of my sources of continuous education, feeding my curiosity. My two major passions are saving the planet and saving the democracy. And I do what I can in those areas. But I just love it that one is never too old to run out of a wholly sacred curiosity. Well, Kitsy, thank you. Your passions are pretty ambitious, but we thank you for that. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We want to hear about your passions and pastimes, your ideas for programs, 1-800-399-3566. You can go and send us an email, talk at mainpublic.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And I want to let you know that another one of our colleagues will be calling in right after the break. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today we are talking about our series, Passions and Pastimes. All year we're highlighting hobbies, interests, and favorite activities, some lesser known, some trendy or popular. With me to talk about the series is my Maine Calling teammate, Cindy Hahn. And we are also hearing from several of our Maine public colleagues about their passions and pastimes. What about you? What are you passionate about? What pastime do you think we should do a show about? You can share your comments and questions by email, talk at mainepublic.org comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Well, on the line with us now is Allison New. Allison is an administrative assistant at Maine Public. Allison, you are the friendly face greeting guests and keeping everything afloat at our Portland studio. We've also learned that you are really artistic. Tell us about your interesting hobby. Yeah, so thanks for having me on the show, and good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've uh, been into arts and crafts and creating art since I was, as long as I can remember, since I was little. My mom actually still has, like, the very first storybook I wrote for her when I was four years old that I um, called The Little Pink Bunny, which uh, she brings out every so often to share um, with friends and family. But... Um, a hobby I've recently got into is um, thrifted upcycled art, which is a lot of fun. And it was something I saw on TikTok not too long ago um, where people were 
buying old paintings from the thrift store and drawing in these cute little ghosts and then having this fun, like, upcycled, like, environmentally friendly art. And I jumped on the train and started creating my own. Oh, my gosh, goodness. And I've seen a, a few of them, Allison. I really love the one. She has one painting that's, um, you know, one of those classic old paintings of schooners sailing, and she's got giant octopus tentacles coming out of the sea to grab them. Um, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, and Allison, yeah. I saw that too. Um, and it seems like you have certain themes that you like to do. Like, are, you, are, are there certain... Um, you said people, the trend is to paint little ghosts or whatever, but but what do you like to paint? Yeah, so the trend was like these cute little ghosts, but I've always had a really um, big interest in like mythology and like lore and especially like um, like kind of like cryptid monsters and stuff like that. So I wanted to express my own interest in the trend. And the first one I did was the one you were just talking about with the boats. And I was like, you know what needs to happen with this painting? I think the Kraken needs to just like pop up out of the sea and pull these boats down in. So I drew the big <laughs> Kraken tentacles and they're pulling the ship down into the water. And it was just a lot of fun. And um, I did one recently with like a sea serpent who's like slithering through um, this like cute little quaint country house river. And he's just hanging out there going for a a stroll or a swim through this little painting. Allison, you seem so sweet in real life. I think there's a side of you that's a, a dark side. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not really dark. They're very cutesy uh, uh, versions of these uh, creatures. Um, bright colors, very fun, not scary at all. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just curious, you said you saw this on TikTok. So is this something that just younger generation is doing? Or do you know of like a lot of people taking these thrift paintings and doing this um, painting on top of them? I think so. I think it's a pretty big trend. Like I've seen some really interesting, I follow a few other artists um, on Instagram. There's this one guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but he does like Star Wars, like he'll paint Star Wars scenes into these old thrifted paintings. And I know some people do like Pokemon and like just like really fun little like different TV shows or movies or whatever. So it's definitely something I see a lot of. And it's just kind of a really fun way to like, like create art, but also not create like additional waste too, because you're like reusing something and making it new again, which I really like about this trend. Well, Allison, I really appreciate you calling in and uh, taking a few minutes. Allison, new administrative assistant for Maine Public. Um, let's see. We'll go to another call. This is Will, who's calling from Wells. Hi, Will. Go ahead. Hey, Jen. Um, I'm a very passionate uh, paraglider in Maine. It is a uh, great way to see our nature from a different angle. And it's an activity that you can do all year round in Maine. So it's, really, uh, it's a really fun thing to do. Um, paragliding sounds dangerous, Will. How do you, how do you get over, get over the fear? Um, it's kind of like any, um, exciting or dangerous sport. Um, even, you know, going skiing for the first time might be a little scary, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And the more, the more, the more you fall in love with it. What's your advice for someone who's listening to you and saying, oh, man, I've always wanted to do that. How do you get started? 
Um, the best way to get started in New England is there is a school over in uh, New Hampshire called um, Morningside Flight Park. And you can go there and take a tandem ride with a trained pilot and see if it's something exciting you might want to try and learn how to do. All right. So it starts tandem, kind of like um, folks who jump out of airplanes. <laughs> yeah, very similar to skydiving. Uh, if you if you go to a skydiving place, you'll get strapped into someone else's harness and they'll, they'll do all the work for you and you can just enjoy the ride. Uh, it's the exact same thing with paragliding, um, except we like to say it's a bit uh, it's a bit more mellow than the skydiving. Well, Will, thanks so much for calling in. Will, calling from Wells, who is passionate about paragliding. And uh, we'll go up to Sydney and Chad. Hi, Chad. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for having me on. What are you passionate about? Oh, the last year I've been using a underwater drone or ROV. Um, in freshwater and marine environments. It's been just an amazing uh, journey of um, learning how to pilot the drone and then also coming up with some really fun images. Wow, an underwater drone. It's, is that, is, it's obviously an entirely different kind of thing than um, the drones that we see up in the sky. Yeah, well, actually, they've applied some of the technology from aerial drones, which are really popular, as you noted, and um, and made them applicable to kind of a mid-range package of, of underwater drones or ROVs. People may be more familiar with ROVs from, you know, maybe the search searches near the Titanic wreckage and, and kind of high-profile places like this. But now um, there's a, a growing market for these mid-range, um, you know, uh, ROVs or underwater drones. And and so it's been fun to experiment with that and, and see where it might apply to situations, you know, around the state. Chad, tell us, what is the coolest thing you've gotten a video of? Oh, well, it's video and photography. And um, last summer, uh, the Alewives, I, I do a bunch of dives in China Lake, and the Alewives has started running there over the past few years. And, um, and they circled the lake in, in mid, early to midsummer the juvenile juvenile alewives and, and I got some great images and videos of, of those alewives streaming through and also it uh, some of the fish especially but other animals as well tend to be kind of curious um, of of the drone underwater rather than a diver they might be afraid of and so I got these alewives you know circling overhead with this uh, this uh, largemouth bass that circled through and looked right at the lens and you can find some of these images on uh, mainunderwaterimaging.com and my Facebook and Instagram sites. Chad, thanks so much for calling in. Chad calling in to tell us about using an underwater drone. That's so cool. Um, one of the passions and pastimes we're discussing here today. So joining us now is Sam Tracy. Sam's actually been with us for the whole program. He's a radio operations announcer and producer, and he is running the soundboard right now for today's program and also joining us on air. Hope it's not too distracting. Um, Sam, thanks. He got, yeah, there you are. It Great, worked. it worked. It uh. worked. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. So before the show starts, we get to chat with you, and we have learned about your passion for hockey. Now this, Sam, it seems as though you may be a little more passionate about hockey than other people who would describe themselves as hockey fans. Yeah, uh, I, I would say I would describe myself as a bit of a super fan, uh, supporting uh, most of the local teams here. Uh, now there's a 
wide range of teams here in the state, uh, all the way to the professional ranks uh, where the Maine Mariners play uh, just across town at the Cross Insurance Arena. They are the AA affiliate of the Boston Bruins. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we had a former Mariner score his first NHL goal on Saturday, the first Mariner to do so um, in the modern era. And, uh, and that goes down even to uh, there's a great high school league down here. The MPA does a fantastic job of getting co-op teams. And even up north in Orono, the, the University of Maine Black Bears have uh, been on a tear as of recent. All right. And, and you don't just watch, right? Cindy, oh, there's, uh... there's a lot of. Yeah, go, go ahead, Cindy. Well, I, I wish people could see you because you got a jersey on right yeah, now. Yeah, so uh, the part. Well, there's a, a double reason. to. Of course, I wore it to sort of get in the spirit of today's program. But also, uh, today is actually USA Hockey's Hockey Week across America. And today is Hockey Jersey Day, uh, where USA Hockey encourages fans all over the country to wear their jerseys to work. That's great. Well, do you have a favorite way to play yourself? Uh, I would have to say ball hockey. It is one of the probably the most accessible ways to get into the sport. Uh, I mean, all it really takes is a stick, uh, a tennis ball, or any sort of ball that you have lying around, and even just, you know, firing it up against your uh, garage door, or there's also, you know, there's rinks out there where you can play. Uh, for example, there's a uh, Saturday morning and Monday evening league that plays out in Westbrook, um, and it's a uh, it's a great way to sort of stay in shape. Also, I believe there's a Rex Sports Organization, uh, Casco Bay Sports, that also runs leagues down here in the Portland area. So, Sam, um, I understand you have quite a story to tell about your big moment to shine on the ice. Oh, Share yes. that story with our so, audience if you're if you're not yes. feeling a little too humbled by it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, the uh, the third producer here on Maine Calling likes to uh, give me a hard time over it, but uh, at a recent Maine Mariner home game. I was given the opportunity to shoot from center ice to win a prize. Uh, I was given a stick that was about a foot too short for me, and I missed the net wide. I guess the pressure got to me, but I missed the net wide left by about 20 feet. Oh, my goodness. And your friends are still giving you a hard time about it. Yes, it's (laughs) – but it it was a lot of fun regardless. At least you're willing to share the video. We got to see the video, and that's yes. why Jonathan Smith gives you such a hard time about it. But it was a noble effort. Yes, and it was a lot of fun. You know, going to going to games is a lot of fun, um, especially when you have you know a community of friends to share it with. Well, Sam, thanks for opening up the mic and sharing with us. Sam Tracy is part of our great radio operations team at Maine Public, and now he's going to go back to the board, <laughs> running running the board for this program right now. Um, we'll go to Art, who's calling from South Portland. Hi, Art. Go ahead. Well, Sam, thanks for opening up the mic. Oh. Hello. Uh, so my, my particular passion, uh, among several, is harvesting ice commercially, which I've done for probably 18 of the last 22 years. Um, we do this over in Squam Lake in New Hampshire. And certainly this year, the weather was extremely fickle. Oh, boy. We had multiple and- delays in, 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 the, in the time of harvesting. So, Well, you say you do it commercially, Art. Where, who, who buys the, the ice that you uh, harvest? 
no one buys it, but it, it, it is involved. It's, it's an enmeshed part of a family vacation camp that holds up to 400 people um, at a time on the north shore of Squam Lake. Uh, it's in the town of Holderness, but it's almost on the Holderness sandwich border. <clears throat> we actually harvest uh, in recent years. We mostly harvest in Sandwich, New Hampshire on the lake um, and then take the blocks to two ice houses at this summer vacation camp that is only open seasonally. And then you and your family stay there for a week and there's no refrigeration in the cottages, but you get a, a block or a half a block or a quarter block of ice every other day, or every third day in your ice chest. And that's how you keep your white wine or your beer chilled, if you will. Art, I'm wondering, um, do you do this as a way to preserve a lost art or, or lost art? Sorry, that's your name. <laughs> um, or is it just, I mean, are you doing it for practical purposes or because you feel like someone should still just be doing this the old way? No, we, we do it for practical purposes. So the people that, the people that come to the camp and stay there, love their Squam Lake ice. Um, and they often say that their drinks of whatever variety taste better with a little Squam Lake ice than with processed ice by far. So it, it really, it, it does serve a practical purpose because as I said, there are 400 people there at a time during any one day or any weekend season. So the ice gets stored in, two, in one of two ice houses about 1,600 blocks per ice house, roughly. Um, and then they get removed from the ice house, cleaned off, and taken in wheelbarrows to the individual cottages on a daily basis. Well, Art, I really appreciate you calling in and taking part in this. And um, I wish you a better ice harvesting season next year. So we are talking about passions and pastimes on Maine Calling. We are hearing from a number of our colleagues who have passions and pastimes. We're going to hear from another one after the break. And we also want to hear from you, 1-800-399-3566. You can send a brief email to talk at mainepublic.org or find us on social media. And a note, Monica Wood has already posted pictures on Facebook if you want to see her miniature rooms. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You're listening to Maine Calling. What are your passions and pastimes? With me today, Maine Calling producer Cindy Hahn. We want to hear what you like to do for fun. Anything uncommon or very Maine or something that you think would be a good topic for an entire show as part of our Passions and Pastime series. You can give us a call, 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org or post to Facebook or Instagram. Calling in now is Robin Sanford. Robin is a database administrator at Maine Public. Thanks so much for calling in, Robin. Oh, you're welcome, Jen. We, you work in Maine Public's Lewiston studio, and we all know that at holiday time, your office turns into a winter wonderland that is a Lego winter wonderland. Describe the intricate scenes you make out of Legos. Well, I've been collecting Legos winter holiday sets since around 2014. And one of the things that I love to do um, just after Thanksgiving is to get out a whole lot of white felt and a few boxes so I can kind of have some hills going on. And then I usually try to set things up so it's a little different than last year. Buildings will be in different places. Uh, sometimes I add a set. 
And so it looks all snowy and wintry. And then I've got all sorts of different little buildings. There's a a uh, fire station. There's a, a, a post office. There's a carousel and sort of a, a bunch of little stalls, like maybe there's a winter fair going on. There's ice skating. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's something that I enjoy sharing with my colleagues, and I've been sharing pictures of that with folks at Maine Public uh, for a couple years now. And in December 2022, it was featured on our Instagram. And you, you can see those pictures, right? We've got those posted on social media. Robin, I'm just curious whether you were one of those kids who played with Legos all the time, or did you just this interest surface later in life? I definitely played with Legos when I was uh, growing up in the mid to late 80s and the early 90s. Um, my sister and I were often frustrated because uh, while all the Lego minifigures had that generic smiley face, there was not a lot of what we called girl hair. Um, there wasn't a great way to indicate that this minifigure was a girl because there weren't a lot of hair pieces that looked particularly feminine. Most of them were shorter. Uh, we only had three pieces of hair that we thought would work for girls, so we actually traded them in between various different figures. Um, and then I, I stopped playing with Legos, as a lot of people do. Um, it gets referred to in the hobby as a dark ages, where you stop playing with your Legos. Um, <laughs> but when I was in college, they started releasing Star Wars sets, and I was really excited about that. Um, and so I started collecting Legos again and getting their catalogs. And uh, I then had a friend when I was in grad school, we were talking about what we loved about Legos. And he liked building spaceships and other vehicles. And I explained my sister and I mostly liked to build buildings. And then he got me as a Christmas present, what was my favorite Lego set for a very long time. It's called Yeti's Hideout. It's a set from the Lego Orient Expedition Adventurers theme. And it has a female minifigure who's exploring this temple. And when she pulls out this drawer at the bottom of the temple, a ice cave opens up and you can see a Yeti standing in the ice cave. Uh, and so he'd listened to everything that I liked about Legos and got me a set that really uh, hit all the things that I loved. Uh, and it was definitely my favorite set for a long time uh, until they released a Sesame Street set, which I do put up in my office when it's not wintertime. Sure, as a PBS kid. Well, Robin, thank you so much for calling in and sharing this. Robin Sanford, database administrator at Maine Public, sharing her pastime and passion of building remarkable Lego villages uh, in the holiday time and and around year round. Um, we have so many emails coming in. I'm going to just read a whole bunch of them. Um, from JJ, I spin with a spindle or spinning wheel. I have spun now for over 50 years after learning as a young woman. So that's terrific. Um, Veronica, weaving. I have four floor looms and this time of year I'm weaving with the colors of spring. John says, I love riding my motorcycle to the off-beaten towns. I meet locals and look up their history. I love this one. Scott emails us to say, my unusual hobby or passion is organizing. I love to organize closets, drawers, cupboards, etc. My friends know how addicted I am to my label maker. It is a passion that has really helped me be more comfortable and efficient in my home. I'm even considering turning my hobby into a side gig where I help others 
declutter and organize. Scott is in <laughs> Fort Kent and oh my gosh, Scott, I want to learn from you. Um, let's see here. John says, over the years I've gone from folding origami to finding designs for folded paper planes wherever I can to learn to design and build paper craft planes that fly. Oh my goodness. Cindy, I have a feeling there are some um, folding people who can fold really good airplanes in your home. Oh yeah, we 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 are a paper folding home. So that and uh, cutting snowflakes, that's that a lot of that happens in our household. <laughs> but um, I was gonna say because those ideas um, actually segue with a whole list of the topics that we wanted to get to this year. So we've got a whole bunch of arts related ones from fiber arts and ceramics to um, music, musical theater. Um, we've got comic books on the list. So, um, you know, I could go on because we have a very long list, but we do hope to get to a lot of uh, topics related to some of the ones people suggested. Sharon, calling from Bangor, go ahead. Hi. Um, when I was a teenager, an elderly lady, I granny sat for every day, taught me to cat, T-A-T. It's handmade lace. And it uses a series of half-hitch knots. In fact, when my brother had a lobster boat, we um, made the head that goes in, you know, to, to catch the bait. And I couldn't believe it. It was the same knot. Um, it's very old art, and that's where it originated from, was fishing nets. Um, I've done it since high school. I'm in my 70s now. And I put tatted lace on my wedding gown. I taught a class in it in the 80s. Unfortunately, I had a bad eye accident about three years ago. And so I stopped. But I'm going to try to do some simple edgings underneath my closed circuit television. I think I can do it. Oh, I'm good luck with that, story. Sharon. Yeah, I hope that you're able to do some tatting um, with some technology. So thank you so much for calling and sharing that. Um, Eve also, Eve says quilting and other fiber arts like rug hooking, knitting and applique. There are so many small businesses and social groups built around these hobbies throughout the state. I enjoy designing and creating something that is both art and a useful object here, here. And then Jen, I took up Mahjong last year. They offer classes at the Jewish Community Alliance in Portland. Judy is the teacher and she is fantastic. And my mother was very passionate about Mahjong. And Cindy, I know that your mom is as well. Right. My parents <laughs> had a club of Mahjong players and, and we learned when we were young and I get very competitive when I play Mahjong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't imagine that. I can't I imagine like you getting competitive about anything, Cindy. <laughs> oh, I'm so chill. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go to Howard calling from Bodenham. Hi, Howard. Go ahead. Hi, yes, hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm just calling because one of the things that I like to do is I like to hike barefoot, which requires about a month of preparation on the on the trail when it gets warm enough. But the benefits are that you really are in touch with nature. And you are able, it's so quiet. It's just amazing. It's just a wonderful um, immersion in, in the natural forest. I can imagine. I can imagine because that childhood feeling of running barefoot in the summertime. How do you, you say you have about a month of preparation? What do you do? Do you do you go stand on hot pavement? <laughs> no, 
No, it just means that um, the first month I, I hike once a, once a week. And so the first month I have to take it quite slow and allow my the calluses to, to build up. But it takes about a, about four weeks uh, or four times. And then, and then the feet toughen up and, and it's not much of a problem. Did you get this idea by yourself or did you learn from somebody else? Did you see someone else doing it and think, oh, yeah, I want to do that? No, I've, I've always been a barefoot walker. I grew up in a family of barefoot walkers. And um, what I started getting more interested in walking barefoot was when I um, read about how um, people were winning the uh, marathon races because they trained barefoot, not having shoes, and that it was better for your joints and knees. And so I started thinking, hey, that sounds like a good plan. And it's, the benefits are wonderful. It sounds like this is a seasonal activity for you. Uh, yeah, hiking in the snow is not something I advocate. <laughs> Especially barefoot, right? <laughs> exactly. Howard, exactly. I, so, I so appreciate you calling in and sharing your passion, not just hiking, but hiking barefoot. Howard calling in from Bodenham today. Cindy. Oh, I just, I'm just thinking of some other ideas that have come in from our listeners that, um, that kind of reminded me of, it's not really related, but someone suggested a show on orienteering and using a compass out in the woods, which I thought was really neat. And then also that same person suggested uh, map making as, as a passion, which was also interesting. Um, we get so many great ideas. I'm going to, I'm going to call out some of the ones we heard, um, musical theater. Uh, somebody wanted a show on that. And also band camps, Jen, you and I both had kids involved with band camp and that's actually a, a huge deal in Maine. So um, sometimes, you know, things that we wouldn't think of, we're hearing from you. We'll go to Chris, who's calling from Lincolnville. Hi, Chris, go ahead. Hi, I just uh, have a passion for pisanki, which is waxed eggs. People do them at Easter time. Take the middle out of, take the insides out of the egg and put your own designs on, put them in dyes. So I just oh, want to say fun. Is that like the Ukrainian Easter eggs? Is that the this the same idea with the wax and exactly? It's the same idea. You can do them very detailed or very simple. You can do one dye, many white eggs, dark eggs. It's just very fun, and it's not that expensive. A little kiska that you draw with on the egg is only like six dollars, and the dyes are about ninety nine cents. And in Belfast, you can buy it at the uh, Fiddlehead store or other places where they sell pisanki. And it's P-Y-S-A-N-K-Y. <laughs> spell it again. I was just about to ask you. Go ahead. Spell it again. P-Y-S-A-N-K-Y. Okay, and that's pisanky. plural for waxed eggs. It's really, I, I have tried that. And it's so, it's wonderful because even if you don't know what you're doing and it's not really, you're not really artistic, it comes out looking beautiful anyway. So um, that's a that's a really great um, pastime to, to partake in. The Lincolnville Library is doing a class uh, the went first Wednesday of March, and the Page Gallery in Camden some uh, Tuesday afternoon classes the end of the month. And Chris, do the wax eggs last a long time? As long as you don't drop them, yes, they last forever. Some people do them with the insides in and let it decompose, but we take the insides out, and then you just display them in a basket or a, you know, a little holder. But they well, last for you. Yeah, and with Easter coming up, that's a great idea, or any time of the year, but especially right now. Thank you so much for uh, calling in, Chris. An email here from Deborah. 
I love to preserve food in my freezer. It's like a chemistry set experiment. I also quilt and knit. Oh, Cindy, there's another idea for um, the series food preservation. So many people, whether it's the freeze dryer or canning. Yeah, it's funny how we're getting these suggestions. The organizing guy, <laughs> this one, they're very useful passions and pastimes, which is really great. Um, we, we have some other ideas for useful ones like boat building. You know, someone mentioned earlier, when you make something beautiful, that's also useful. Um, that's such a great topic to cover. And that that's, again, such a main tradition. So we're looking forward to covering that. Mm, and, and, um, and so many more. If you haven't had a chance to call in today, this is not a deadline kind of thing. You can put your suggestion in throughout the year. Talk at mainpublic.org is always the best way to get a hold of us. And especially if, you know, once you started this passion, maybe you discovered that a lot of other people had that passion as well. And, and that's always such a fun surprise in a way that people uh, with social media today, I think people are connecting, Cindy, um, when they thought maybe they were the only one doing something, you know, maybe um, our caller has found out there are other people who like to hike barefoot. I know that does happen for us, right? When we do a show and we're like, oh, I had no idea so many people were into this. For me, it's the critter shows, which you and Jonathan tease me about. I'm always wanting to do shows. I don't shows tease like you. <laughs> okay, Jonathan. <laughs> but but as, as uh, our listeners may know, we've done shows on uh, just interesting animals because they're so, uh, you know, so much to learn about them. So we had a possum show and I'm hoping to do as part of our series an alpaca show because I know a lot of people raise alpacas in Maine and uh, yet another passion of, of many, including me. All right. Well, we've been talking about our passions and pastimes series on Maine Calling. We um, started it a couple months ago, plan to continue it at least throughout the year. If you go onto Maine Public's Facebook page, you can see that uh, Monica Wood has already posted a picture of one of the rooms that she described, one of the miniature rooms. We welcome you to call in and post other, actually several of her rooms, um, post some pictures, give us some ideas for our series on passions and pastimes this year on main calling cindy thanks for being my guest today that was fun thank you cindy is one of the producers of main calling along with jonathan smith who did not join us but that's okay he had somebody had to answer the phone today's sound engineer was also one of our guests today sam tracy and our theme song was composed by mike jandro visit maincalling.org for our audio archive and subscribe to our weekly newsletter comes out every friday tells you what's coming up in the week ahead. That's maincalling.org. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You've been listening to Main Calling on Main Public Radio.